All right, everybody. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's get started. We got some camera issues today, so the camera won't move. So I'm just gonna teach from up here, um, and hopefully I can. I think I can still be able to to see where I need to see. But if it's okay, I'm going to teach up here this morning because we got a camera that's. Uh, won't get me if I'm down, I'm down here. So we'll just adjust and roll with it. Please go in your lesson book to lesson 15. Lesson 15, as you get ready to study, I wanna say this, I wanna begin my part in this class by saying thank you. I wanna say thank you. And I wanna say thank you to all of you who've been in this class this quarter and how wonderful you've been. This has uh, not been the easiest material to teach. I think I can't even speak for, for Mitch and, and, and Greg uh, when I say that. This is, some, this is some difficult stuff we're talking about here. But y'all have been wonderful. Y'all have been just wonderful. You've had good questions. You've come prepared. You've had good thoughts. And I appreciate it. I really, really appreciate it. We are near the end of these lessons. This is the second to last class uh, today's class is the second to last class, so we'll have a singing on Wednesday. Next Sunday will be the last class. Brother Mitch will teach the last class uh, in this quarter. I, I have to leave on Tuesday for a gospel meeting in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. So that meeting starts Wednesday and it goes all the way through Sunday. So it's backwards. So I'll be uh, uh, they're doing it the unscriptural way, right? Uh, so so uh, somebody's like that's a liberal church he's going to there. Uh, but uh, I'm going to fly back home on Sunday night once as soon as the meeting is over. So Brother Mitch has uh, generously agreed to teach that last class. Uh, today, my plan is to uh, finish up very quickly Lesson 15 and at least try to do the first half of Lesson 16. I hope to be able to do that. That's my plan. I hope you've benefited from these classes. You have your, your workbook, always keep that with you. You can put that in your library. We do have some extra copies if you want one. Even for our, our visitors, if you want a copy, we do have one for you if, if you want that. And I also hope your kids have benefited. I appreciate our young people, and they've been fantastic and just been so great. And thank you to the young folks for being in here. Thank you to the parents and the grandparents for doing such a fine job with these wonderful young people really really feel optimistic about the future for this church let's have a word of prayer and then we need to jump into our study let's pray almighty god thank you so much father for blessing us to be able to come together to study and consider uh, some things about bible authority and how to accurately uh, deal with the word accurately understand bible authority and understand the work of of your church and us as individual christians we pray that you'll bless this time of study we pray for all of our Bible class teachers, and we especially always pray for our shepherds who do such a fine job leading us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so real quick, let me try to just bring us up to speed on some things. We're on Lesson 15, trying to wrap that up. The big question we've been considering the last two classes is does the Bible make a distinction between the actions of a church or a local churches and individual Christians? I hope you've been able to see that the Bible does. Bible makes distinctions when it comes to domestic things, economic things, benevolent things, spiritual things, 
especially when it comes to restoring, airing brethren, and social things. We looked at fellowship issues. There's distinctions the Bible makes when it comes to fellowship with God and fellowship with the church for an individual Christian. And then last time we started diving into the specific work of the church. What does God want a church to do? We know churches are involved in all kinds of things today, but we noticed on Wednesday that according to the Bible, God is very specific with what he wants a church to do, with what he wants Monta Vista to do, and those things include worship and building up each other, spreading the gospel, holding each other accountable to righteous and godly living, making sure we appoint and train up qualified leaders, equip each other for works of service, support preachers financially, and assist needy Christians whenever those, those needs arise in the church. So we looked at those things we looked at those things last time. Now, here's the question we want to think about this morning. This morning, we want to wrap up Lesson 15 by just answering this question. Can a church teach what it cannot practice? Can a church teach what it cannot practice? We know that there are certain works that God doesn't want a church to do. We've talked about that. But just because... A church is not to be involved in those kind of works or they have no authority to be involved in those works. Does that mean that the church can't still teach on that stuff? Does that mean that the, the church can't still open up the Bible and proclaim from the word of God what the scriptures say about those things? Well, the answer is this. Can a church teach what it cannot practice? The answer is it can and it must. It must because a church, a local church, is to be a teaching entity. It is to be an entity that teaches the will of God, proclaims the will of God, talks about God's standard in every aspect of life beyond the work of the church. And so I want to show you a scripture, please. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in your Bible, to 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and the Apostle Paul will have this to say about the matter. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse number 15 is Paul is giving instructions to the preacher, to the preacher Timothy. In 1 Timothy 3 verse 15 he says, but in case I am delayed, I write, I'm writing these things so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself and the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So notice how Paul says some things about the church even some things about a local church. A local church is to teach. It is to be a teaching institution. It is to be a teaching entity. When Paul talks about the church being the pillar and the ground of the truth, he doesn't mean that the church determines what is truth. Instead, he means that the church is to uphold the truth, uphold it, promote it, teach it, teach God's will in every standard, in every facet of life. Give the full counsel of God. That's what Paul means there. And so because a Christian's life extends beyond what he or she does in a local church, the church must teach what it cannot practice. It must teach on things that God doesn't necessarily want the church to be involved in, but the individual to be involved in the church must teach on these things. And so, let's look at some examples. Let's look at some examples. Church got to teach 
what God's will is in the realm of working business for the Christian. As a preacher, elders, Bible class teachers, we have to teach that God says a Christian is to work and not be lazy and to get out there and earn a living. If you want to start a business, that's okay. But be honest and ethical and make money. Make money the right way to take care of your family. The church must teach that, but just because the church teaches that doesn't mean that that's the work God wants a church to do. We teach that it's okay to start a business. It's okay to work, earn money, take care of your family. But that doesn't mean that God wants the church to be involved in the realm of business and secular work and raising money outside of what we find in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Does that make sense? Church can teach what it can't practice. Church can teach what God doesn't want the church to be involved in. We also see this in the realm of civil government. Romans 13 says that as individual Christians, no matter what party is in power, we must respect the government. We must submit to the government. We must obey the laws of the land as long as those laws obviously don't go against what God has said. We must, as Peter says, honor the king. And keep in mind, Peter is saying that in the time of the Roman Empire, that was very, very corrupt. I mean, we think our government's corrupt. We need to get in a time machine if we couldn't go back to the Roman Empire. And Peter is still saying, honor the king. Pray for the king. Pray for people in positions of civil government. We have to teach that. We have to teach the Christian's responsibility to the government, but that doesn't mean God wants the church involved in politics. Does that make sense? You want to vote? You want to do those things? You do those things. But the church is not involved in that work. The church can teach what it can't practice. The church can teach what God doesn't want the church to be involved in. We teach also what an individual's responsibility is. And we have a responsibility to our government. We also have to teach what the Bible says about the realm of family. We got to teach Ephesians 5. And Paul's talking to individuals there. Husbands got to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Wives got to respect their husband, submit to her husband. Kids must obey their parents. Fathers must bring up their children, the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's, that's the realm of family. We teach that as a church. That doesn't mean that God wants the church involved in the family business. That doesn't mean that God wants the, the church to be involved in offering things as far as recreation goes for your family and, and turning the church into a social club. No, that's, not, that's not what God wants the church to be involved in. But, but, but we can teach what God says about the individual. And the church also can't be the primary teacher of my kids. I'm the primary teacher of my kids because I'm their father. And so while my kids can come here and have Bible classes and learn from good Bible class teachers, what they get here is a small supplement at best to the great bulk of work that should be going on at home. This should only be a supplement, very small sample of what I should be doing every day in my house. If this is all the teaching my kids are getting is Wednesdays and Sundays, I am failing them as a father. I am failing them. I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And maybe I shouldn't be shocked if they're not strong when they become adults as Christians. It's my responsibility to teach. 
It's my responsibility to sit down with them and do these Bible class lessons with them. And what they get over there and right in here, it's just a small supplement. That's what the Bible says. And then community. As a church, we teach. We have to teach that in the Bible, in Acts 2, verse 46, you find Christians spending time with each other daily. You find Peter saying, be hospitable without complaint. It's interesting he would say that because so often we complain. And Peter says, do it without complaint. That's interesting. And I also like Acts 16, 15. In Acts 16, 15, Lydia is converted. You remember when Lydia is converted by the Apostle Paul in Philippi? And after she's brought to the Lord, the Bible says, and you got to look carefully to not miss this, because this is interesting. <laughs> At Acts 16, 15, it says that after she's converted, Paul says she prevailed upon us to stay with her. That language prevailed upon us means that she wasn't taking no for an answer. <laughs> she prevailed on that strong language in the Greek. And it's almost like she's like, no, you're going to do this whether you like it or not. You ever mess with folks like that? You coming over. And I'm not taking no for an answer. That's how Lydia was. Uh, that woman, uh, she ran a business for a reason. She didn't play. And she told Paul, you staying with us. She was a good woman. And probably one of the big reasons why Paul was always getting support in Philippi. I can just see her saying, going to some of the brothers and some of the shepherds and saying, have we been checking on Paul? How's Paul doing? We need to be making sure we give him some money. She was a good woman, good woman of God. And the Bible says community, Christians, social stuff, that's perfectly fine as far as individuals. But that doesn't mean God wants the church to be involved in, in that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean that God wants the church to be involved in social stuff and even things like hospitality and turning the church into a soup kitchen. That's, that's not God's will. And so what I just want you to see here as we wrap that up is while, and I'll get your thoughts here in a, couple of, in a couple of minutes, while the Bible does make a distinction between the actions of an individual Christian and the actions of a church, the church must still teach God's will for both. That's the point. The church must teach the full counsel of God. We have to teach what God wants the local church to do and also what God wants individuals to do. That's part of being the pillar and ground of the truth. And so here's some final thoughts here. Final thoughts in this lesson. No disciple, no one disciple is the local church. I'm not the local church. You're not the local church. We help make up this church. We're members of a body. We're members of a universal body. And hopefully we're members of a local body. No one disciple makes up a church. We're members of the church. The work of the church involves saints working together to spread the gospel, equip one another for good works, submit to common leadership, and share into a common treasury. That, in a nutshell, is what a local church is. It's Christians who've come together to share the gospel, equip each other, edify each other, submit to common leadership, in this case five elders, and share into a common treasury. That's a local church. Being a member of a local church is not to gate responsibilities and obligations given to individual disciples. I'm a member of the Monta Vista Church, but I still have individual responsibilities. And being a member here doesn't negate those, those obligations. I still got to be a good husband. I got to lead my family. I got to keep my obligations to the government. Got to be a good father. Got to stay in my Bible. I got to pray. 
I got to do evangelism. I have responsibilities as an individual. I got to help needy people. And being a member of this church doesn't negate any of that stuff. It does not exempt me from any of the obligations I have as an individual. The local church is also not the standard of truth. It's not the standard of truth. We teach the truth. God is the standard of truth. The Holy Spirit is the standard of truth. We just teach what the truth is. We do our best to teach the whole counsel of God. And the local church is not the measure of being right with God. You may be a member of the Monte Vista Church, but that's not the measure of being right with God. You can be a member of a church and not right with God. You can be a member of a church and go to every church service, and God looks at you and says, no, you, you got sin in your life. The church may not know about it, but I do. And you need to repent. So being a member of Monte Vista doesn't automatically mean we're going to heaven. We have to live for the Lord as members of this church. And then the local church does validate the work and worship of the individual. I'm a member of Monte Vista, but you can't do work for me. I have my own work I need to do. And you have your own work you need to do. And hiring a preacher or appointing some elders and deacons doesn't take away those responsibilities. And you worship God, but just because we try to worship as a church, according to the biblical pattern, we don't have instruments. We don't tithe. We try to do what the Bible says. We don't have a choir up here. We don't, we don't do that. We try to do what the Bible says as far as New Testament worship goes, but that still doesn't mean you have individual obligations when it comes to worship. You, me, we all must concentrate during the Lord's Supper, and we got to give generously and sacrificially, and we got to listen during the preaching and the teaching, and we have to sing from our hearts and loud with our mouths, make melody in our hearts to God, and we have to concentrate during the prayers. Yes, I'm a member of a church that worships according to the biblical pattern, but that doesn't mean I don't have obligations to, to make sure I'm worshiping right as an individual. You can't worship God for me. I have to worship God myself as a member of this church. So I'll pause right there. Those are the, the things I wanted to say. Comments, questions, uh, what, what, what thoughts do you have about these things, these things we've talked about, Lesson 14, 15, the, the difference between the church and the individual, the work of the church, the things the church must teach that it cannot do. Uh, what are you, any final thoughts on that? I, I, I'll give you the floor right now. Yes, Lance, go ahead, sir. Yes, yes, that's a great point. Lance says what the church can teach, the individual can teach, and vice versa, because there's only one standard of truth. There's complete overlap. Absolutely. I mean, as an individual, and I've done this before, Lance, you know, trying to bring people to the Lord, there are times we, we got to talk about the work of the church. As an individual, in my home, I can talk about that. So, so as far as the Bible goes and teaching the Bible, it's wide open. It's wide open. We teach it as a church, we teach it as individual, because there's only one standard of truth, and that's the word of God. So that's an excellent point, Lance. That's an excellent point. Uh, anyone else have any thoughts you want to say here? Maybe something you think we missed, something you want the congregation to know about this? Please feel free to. Brother Gary, yes, sir. Somebody, something comes up, maybe I don't feel like I can ask 
That's a word. There's, there's language for that, Gary, what you're talking about. It's called team evangelism. And that's biblical. And a great example of that is John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, Philip is trying to get his, uh, trying to get someone to, to come in and listen to Jesus. Um, who was that? Was that Nathaniel, if I'm not mistaken? It's Nathaniel. And Philip said to him, come and see. I found a Messiah. So he didn't teach him there. You know who taught him? Jesus did. Philip did the invitation, and Jesus did the teaching. We can do that today. Maybe you say, hey, you know, I, I, I still don't, I don't feel very good, you know, right now with that, still trying to grow in that. Invite them to come and see. And introduce them to some people who you have a lot of confidence in, and then maybe that person can be the teacher after building a relationship. I've seen that happen numerous times over the last 20 years, and it's very effective. It's very effective. We can work together to win lost people, and it can start with an invitation, get them here, and then get somebody to help you win that soul. That glorifies God, absolutely. I love it. Uh, any other final thoughts before we move on? Okay, just wanna make sure I'm not overlooking anybody. One more thing I, I want to talk about. I want to ask you to go to lesson 16, last lesson. Lesson 16 in your book, please. There's one more lesson in this book. And this final lesson, I kind of added at the last minute because um, I, I, I actually even talked with my friend Jordan Shiles, and he was doing some, some similar stuff where he is in Texas. And he had told me he had included a lesson in some material he had put together that had to do with this. And I liked it. I was like, well, you know what? I think I'll put a lesson together like that, too. I think maybe that's something we don't talk about enough, or maybe we fail to mention when it comes to cl classes like this. So this final lesson has nothing to do with the church, okay? Nothing to do with the church. Nothing to do with the work of the church, the structure of the church. Instead, this final lesson has to do with you. It has to do with you as an individual. It has to do with me as an individual. It has to do with authority. We're still talking about authority, so we're still there. But we're going to wrap all this up by talking about authority in our lives. So we've talked about authority, God's authority in the church. We need to close with a lesson, I think, about God's authority in, in my life as a Christian, my daily life. Do you remember the question that Pharaoh asked uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2? You know, in the book of Exodus is about God delivering Israel from hundreds of years of bondage, and Moses says, let God's people go so they can go worship in the, in the wilderness. And Pharaoh in Exodus 5 and verse 2 asked a question, and it was a good question. It was a question of who is God? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? You remember that? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and do what he says? That was Pharaoh's question, and the rest of Exodus is about God answering that question. Pharaoh wanted to know who the Lord was, and the Lord said, I'm going to tell you who I am. You're going to see these plagues. You're going to see a lot of miracles. You will know who I am by the end of all of this. Well, you know what? What Pharaoh needed to know, we need to know also. God didn't just tell Pharaoh who he was and 
why he needed to submit to his authority. God's also told us. He's told Sean Jeffries. He's told you. He's told us why he has authority in our lives. And so that's what this final lesson is about. In this lesson, we want to answer a question. The question is, why should we listen to God? Now, when I say we, I'm not talking about the church now. I'm talking about individuals. Why should me, as an individual, listen to God? Why should I obey God? Why should I allow God to rule in my life? And you and I both know that for a lot of people in the world today, they don't like that, do they? They don't want to listen to God. They don't want to obey God. They want to do what they want to do. They want to marry who they want to marry. They want to kill who they want to kill. They want to have sex with who they want to have sex with and drink what they want to drink and smoke what they want to smoke and do whatever they want to do. Treat people however they want to treat them. People, especially Americans, don't like anybody telling them what to do. And if you're from Texas like me, it's even times 10. You really don't like people telling you what to do. You don't like it. But God says, I can tell you what to do. You need to obey me. You need to listen to me. And there are three reasons why. I'm going to just deal with the first one. Brother Mitch is going to take it from there, and he's going to do that lesson however he wants to do it. But I just want to give you the first one, if I can. Why should we listen to God? Well, we should listen to God first because of who we are. Do you know who you are? I put some scriptures in your book there. Genesis 1, 26, 27, Isaiah 45, Colossians 1. If you were able to read those scriptures ahead of time, or if you just know what those scriptures say, maybe you just, you just know them by just looking at them. What do you see there? What, what, what do you see that connects all those scriptures when it comes to answering the question of who are we? What do you see there? Who are, if I, if I read those verses, what do I learn about Sean Jeffries? Anybody got an answer to that? Peggy, yes ma'am. Peggy says, what she sees in those verses is we're all created by God. We're his creation. That's important. Remember Genesis 1. God said in the beginning, let's make man in our image. So we are made in the image of God. We have attributes that, that, of God. We have eternity within us. We have morality within us. We have dominion over things. We are made in the image of God. And God said, let us, the us there is the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They made man. Go in your Bible to Isaiah 45. I want to read that passage because Israel had a habit of griping against God. They really didn't like how God was going to use a foreign nation to deliver them from captivity. They didn't like that idea. And so in Isaiah 45 in verse number 9, this is what God has to say about their gripes and their complaining. Isaiah 45, verse 9, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthen were a vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potterer, What are you doing? Or the things you're making say he has no hands? See, God is saying there, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm the creator. I'm the potterer. You're the clay. You have no right to question me on, on what I want to do. You know, it's, it's like if I come to your house, and if I came to your house, and I just started telling all these rules, turning the TV on what I want to turn it on, sitting in your lazy boy chair, telling, what, telling you what time we're going to eat and what we're going to eat. You would look at me and say, boy, you don't, you don't pay no bills around here. What you doing? You have no right to come in my house telling me what to do. That's what God is saying. 
I'm the creator. I, you belong to me. You're my creation. That Colossians 1 passage even breaks it down even, even more when it says that Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who made all things. God made all things through Jesus. Jesus made all things in heaven and on earth. He made the angels, the spiritual beings. He made us. We are the product of God's hand. And so that's important. We are God's creation. Since God made us, that means he has authority over us. He has the right, the inherent right to tell us what to do, to tell us how to live. And we're obligated to obey him because he made us. He has a right over us. Any thoughts about that? Understanding that you God's creation. Now, you may look at that and go, well, Sean, that's obvious. I know I didn't get up and drive all the way out here to hear something I've heard since I was a kid. That may be obvious to us, but I'm telling y'all, and you know this probably, every single day that's becoming less obvious to the people in our culture, the people in our society, especially to our young people. So I know this is obvious to us, but as the time goes by, fewer and fewer people are wanting to accept this. And the main reason why I believe is because if you acknowledge this, if you acknowledge that God is real, then you also acknowledge what? I can't just do whatever I want to do. I need to find God, learn about God, and do what he says. I'd just rather not acknowledge his existence. Jeremiah 10, 23. What do you see there? And I'll read the passage in the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 10, verse 23 says, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. So what do I learn about me as a human being when I read a verse like that? What do I learn about Sean Jeffries and that passion? What do you learn about yourself? Brother Rick, yes, sir. Rick says we don't know how to walk in this life. We don't know how to conduct ourselves in this life properly. That's absolutely right, Rick. We're not very wise on our own. That's what Rick is saying. We're not very smart. So we need some help. And God is wiser than us. God is wiser than us because he has unlimited knowledge. He knows everything. And so I'm God's creation, but also God and just, just put me on this earth and say, hey, you know, figure it out. Oh, God says, I'm smarter than you, and I'm going to give you some direction. It's not in you to direct your own steps. I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. I know more about life than you. I'm going to give you guidance through my word. And as parents, we get that, don't we? I mean, as parents, we're always trying to give wisdom to our kids because we say we've been there and done that. And a lot of times they struggle listening to us. They got to learn the hard way, don't they? When Sean Michael was a little boy, he liked to eat raw hamburger meat. That wasn't good for him. And I would tell him, and sometimes he had to learn the hard way. Well, God's the same with us. We're God's children. And God says, I, I got to help you. Now, he doesn't do that anymore, by the way, so don't go to <laughs> He doesn't do that anymore. But when he was a little, little boy, he did. So God is wiser than us. What about this? Oh, yes, Mike. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And that's an important point. So if you want to get to heaven, Mike, not only can you not direct your own steps on the earth, you can't direct your own steps when it comes to getting to eternity. You can't, you can't go what if you were put on this earth, Mike, 
and you had to figure out on your own how to be saved, could you do it? Yes, I think so God not only gives us wisdom to live, I believe the best life now. He also gives us the wisdom that we need to experience the only life in eternity and to take the right steps to get there. That's good. I need to keep moving here. Oh, yes, sir. Go right ahead. Absolutely. And that actually brings us to our next part here. What you're saying. Because another thing we learn about ourselves in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, that it's not only like you said, God has the responsibility or the we have the responsibility to listen to God's wisdom and he gives us his wisdom. What do we learn in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 about ourselves? What do we have to do? We have to fear God and keep his commandments because that is, there's a word Solomon uses there, that is our, that's our duty. That's our duty. So God says, here's my wisdom. This is what I say. This is my standard. Solomon says, it is our duty to obey God, to fear him, and to obey him. That should be our lives in a nutshell. That should be the foundation of our life, and then we work from there. You agree with that? We fear God, we obey him, and that, that should affect my worldview and everything else. So that should be my starting point. So I learned that I need to listen to God because he made me, He's smarter than me, and I have a duty to him. I need to give you one more thing real quick, and you should see this one pretty clearly. 2 Corinthians 5.10, what do we learn about ourselves there? What do you say, sir? Tony says we've got to answer for our choices. That's right. We're going to give an account. So I've got to stand before God one day. I'm not going to get away with anything. One day, there's going, the Lord is going to come back. I'm going to stand in front of him, and he's going to judge me for my actions. So I need to listen to God because of who I am. I'm God's creation. I'm not as smart as God. I have a duty to fear God and obey him, and I'm going to give an account of myself to him. Now, hear me clearly here. These points are about us. Someone says, well, we missed some things. Come back next Sunday. <laughs> this is not the whole lesson. Because we also need to obey God for some other reasons. Because of who he is. We're not talking about who God is yet. We're talking about who we are. Mitch is going to talk about who God is and what God has said. Those are two different things. So right now we're just talking about who we are. Two more reasons. And I'm going to stop right there. So that's the first half of that. I, again, thank you all for being such a wonderful class. I love you all so much. You've been just wonderful. We're going to take a break. You might want to stand up if you haven't. Get you some water. Go to the restroom. We'll come